Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundan, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're speaking with Cerise James, member of the MAPS Evidence Generation Focus Area Working Group about applications of real world evidence, which she'll be presenting in more depth at the MAPS 2022 Global Annual Meeting, March 20 through 23rd in New Orleans. So first of all, Cerise, thank you for joining us today. I always enjoy seeing your name on our webinars and our papers. And thank you very much for your hard work on the Evidence Generation Focus Area Working Group. And I was wondering if you could get us started today by talking about how you use RWE in your position. Yes, and thank you so much, Garth, for this opportunity to speak with you. So excited to share um, some of my experiences with RWE for the audience's real world evidence. And in my current role, in particular in medical affairs, we use this evidence generation to help, for example, decision makers, population health decision makers to make the best decisions, um, whether it's for access for payers or if it's access for providers to make a more informed decision for treatment algorithms for their patients, for example. And it also provides a context for the patient to also become more informed about some of the clinical decisions that are taking place to help them become, uh, I would say, better partners in their health management status. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked with folks about RWE to kind of plug those knowledge gaps in treatment paradigms. You know, uh, you have your registration trial, it's a very defined patient population, and you need RWE to tell us how these things are going to work in real world populations and real world settings. But what I haven't heard a lot about is how RWE is used with payers and policymakers. So how, how, and I don't think that used to be that case as much. What is the state of RWE with policy these days? So from the perspective of policies, and this is a very good um, question to bring up because you're right, previously it was not addressed um, and was not focused as far as the attention that RWE had as far as the importance to making clinical decisions or making access decisions. So when you look at it from a policy standpoint, you're helping, for example, state legislators um, become more aware of what they are um, voting for. Uh, So you have like a, for example, you have different agencies or advocacy groups that are empowered or informed about the evidence that exists that are then empowered to take that to their, from a grassroots perspective, to mm-hmm. their local um, legislators to help inform them so that when they're making decisions, you know, that are going to impact the, the wealth of their state, mm-hmm. that they're making more informed decisions. Well, and that's so interesting that you bring up working with advocacy groups who who then go to the policymakers. You know, I think of medical affairs communicating through direct channels to people like HCPs, you know, or key opinion leaders. And 
So how does that how does that work? Does an advocacy group request evidence from a medical affairs team that they can so, then use to 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 converse with policymakers? So I'm I was sharing that as a different perspective. Okay. Because for example, um, there's an organization called AMCP, the American okay. College of Pharmacists, right? Or oh, pharmacy, yeah. rather. And so they are very they are, they have a very strong legislative body to okay. advocate for the best um, therapies for patients. And it's a collection of different payer organizations that come together to learn about what's, what are some of the new therapies, for example. So they tend to have, for example, um, certain initiatives that they support Mm -hmm. And those are, um, I would say, opportunities for these grassroots groups, for example, to learn more about what the issues are and then go to their local legislative bodies to inform them. So that's a separate situation. I would like to pivot back to in medical affairs, specifically for what I do, I interface with the payers. So I'm at the regional and at gotcha. the national level. Yep. But at those levels, you still have a cross-functional type of team that you're presenting clinical data to. But within that clinical data, mm -hmm. you're also highlighting economic value of you know um, material that has come out of a budget impact model for example or cost sure. effectiveness but you also want to hone in on the key points of is this the clinical value based upon the studies mm -hmm. okay so we've now moved from a control meaning the randomized control trials where um, we can't generalize those results right because we have a very specific population that we're working with we are now able to utilize real world evidence so what we're saying to you is now that the product is in the market, we are now able to demonstrate to you its clinical and its economic value. So what we're trying to do is move from just relying on the, the clinical trial data. Yeah. Okay. You know, we need that for safety and efficacy, but we also mm -hmm. want to start planning ahead of time that in those trials that yeah. we're also factoring in real-world evidence questions. Oh, so it's not two approaches running independently in parallel with trials over here and RWE over here, it's using RWE questions within a clinical trial framework sometimes? Not yet, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> That's gonna be one of the actions coming, you know, there's a call to action for cool. medical affairs professionals where that will start to take place. In other words, we're getting them to think um, become more vigilant about where they can utilize real world evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's interesting that it's not sort of just the mechanics and the acceptance of RWE, but it's the visioning within medical affairs and within the organization to, to see the potential uses of RWE and where it could provide value. Exactly. And there's a lot of value in within medical affairs there, you know, we are the, the medical experts 
in that particular therapeutic area. Yeah. And so it's in those type of scenarios that um, you have other types of, for example, the population health decision makers. So your payers, your providers, yeah. and your member groups, your patients, et cetera, where from the perspective of the payer, they are now able to be making more informed decisions as to formula access. Okay, yep. And any downstream um, services that may be needed in order to support adding this particular product to their existing formulary. So it, it is informing HCPs with real world evidence, but it's not only HCPs. And, you know, I saw in your session in New Orleans, um, you know, you're going to be covering sort of the effects uh, on RWE of the 21st Century Cures Act and overviewing the post-cures era and even RWE in the COVID-19 era. See why you'd be wanting to fill out that picture in the pre-launch period. <laughs> exactly. And then again, it's, it helps to start that conversation about what's coming. And it also helps in, in I would say, the internal organization learn about some of the additional um, questions or queries that may come from those um, pay, from the payer audience as to what may be further concerns as to what may limit access yeah. or what will, what else will be needed in order to gain access to formulary, for example. Okay, cool. Well, our audience might be familiar with this term, but I don't think I know what it means. And so I wanted to ask, <laughs> what do you mean by the totality of evidence approach? So the totality of evidence approach is not just looking at the, I would say the control trials. Yep. So as I alluded to before, you know, you're looking at it from, this is a very um, structured process of recruitment, the population that's being evaluated, et cetera. The results, you know, we're looking at safety and efficacy, but the yeah. overall results cannot be generalized to the population. Right. So when you look at that, so you, you compare the safety and efficacy, saying, yes, this is safe in the population. It's going to do what it says it's going to do as far as the product. You also want to see what is the overall impact in the market to a wider audience, because now you're able to make better decisions as to is it generalizable because it's open to everyone. Okay. So now you're seeing what is the impact of a product on a certain population, right? Um, we know it works, but maybe there's some additional um, caveats to the response to therapy, maybe because there's an um, there's a genetic predisposition, for example. Okay, sure. So totality of evidence speaks to the generalizability of you know, the hints that you get from the clinical trial or the registration trial results, the totality of evidence would speak to the generalizability of those results to the wider population. Right. So you're, you're not just looking at the trial data. You're, you're combining yeah. all the different relevant parts in order to make the okay. best informed decisions. Well, I look forward to hearing more about this in New Orleans, and I hope that everyone will join us. 
So to learn more about the promise and evolving use of real world evidence, join Cerise at the MAPS 2022 Global Annual Meeting taking place in New Orleans, March 20 through 23rd. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.